last few weeks, I've been focusing some of the, on some of the attributes of God, some of his character traits, if you would. And every week, I think I've shared something about how it's always a challenge to try and to put in words that there are no words to really give us the full understanding of it. And I was telling Cindy this week, I've been just like brain freeze or something. It's just been a a wrestling match, not because of what I want to talk about. It's just to try to put it in a way that's understandable and and you could go so many different directions with this topic because there's it's it it has such an impact in our lives in so many different areas every day so this morning we're going to be looking at the justice of god the justice of god trying to understand how the justice of god functions in our life Owen, would you please put the title page up? God's justice in our life in this thing called justice. You know, justice is a word or a concept that really we deal with or we hear about almost daily. Sometimes we use the word fairness. And there is a sense that fairness and justice could maybe be, maybe mean the same thing, but most of the time it doesn't. We as human beings cry out for fairness when we really should be giving thanks for justice. You know, we hear words describing how fair or unfair things are, how just or unjust things are in terms of relationships. You know, we have relationships with people, our spouses, friends, whoever we have relationships with, and it's awfully easy to, to wonder, is, is, is it fair? Is it just? Why are they doing this when I do that? Why don't they do this when I do this? I mean, we can get off on a, a rabbit trail in our relationships very easily in terms of justice and social issues, which are always relevant. You know, it's hard to, to take positions against any kind of social issue because the Lord tells us that we are to continually be, be loving on and providing for and reaching out to those that are less fortunate than us in whatever way that could be. But as we look around, we always hear that it's just not fair. It's not, fa- it's not fair that we, most of us here have homes and there's people in the streets that don't have homes. It's just not fair. It's not fair that my neighbor has a newer car than I do and it's way bigger and it's shinier. It's just not fair. It's just not fair that this group of people or that group of people doesn't have what the other groups of people have. In social issues... We, we come up with this concept of fair or just. Certainly in our legislation, our government, what's fair, what's not fair? I hope we can begin to see how the word fair doesn't always work. Justice, just, what's just? And we understand the definition of justice. We can pass all these laws that we want to make it fair for everything and everybody, and we'll discover we missed the mark. We even see it in our uh, court system and verdicts come forth. Man, have you ever watched a, a, a case that has made the news or it's in the newspapers? And it might be this horrific crime, even involving children and abuse. And the judge gives a, the, gets the verdict and he gives a sentence of, you know, two years, home arrest, a little bit of counseling. And we go, what in the world? 
where is the justice? Where is the fairness in that? And on the flip side, we see somebody who has this offense that seems like a petty offense, and the judge decides to throw the book at him and puts him in jail for two or three years. Where is the justice in that? We see this in so many aspects of our life. The only way (coughs) fairness can be defined as just is if the judges, the one administering the justice, is perfectly righteous and totally unbiased. I believe I've heard the rumor that some of you like to watch The Voice. Does the best singer always win? Why not? If it's all about The Voice, why wouldn't the best singer win? America's got talent. Does the most talented person win? Some of you even are going to watch football today. Is the best team going to win? That would be just. Why isn't it just? Because there's so many things that are not righteous. We might call them biases. That judge is biased. That referee blew the call. Or if we're conspiracy buffs, we know it's all rigged before it even starts. Where's the justice in that? We have to look at this. Aristotle defined justice this way. Giving a person what is his or her due. That simply. What is his or her due? That's nice and it's sweet and it's concise, but who gets to determine that is the problem. The one who is going to administer justice needs to be totally righteous, totally unbiased. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's a group of Hebrew or group of Greek words that are actually translated. It's the same group of words, but it's translated into two different words in our Bibles oftentimes. Sometimes it's, ter- it's, it's translated into the word righteous, and sometimes it's translated into the word justice or just. The reality is his righteousness and his justice are almost combined as one attribute of God. It's really almost impossible to separate the truth. For true true justice to always be administered, there needs to be a righteousness there. How can we ever see justice in our own cultures, in our own lives? Well, if something is declared to line up with a particular belief system, and it does or doesn't, we can determine justice. Or if there's a a prearranged agreement, here's the thing that we're agreeing to, and here's the consequences one way or the other. You know, if you tell your children, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. It's clear, understood. No one's going to be surprised by the outcome. They do or don't do it. They either get the reward or they get the punishment, whichever way they go. But that's really the only way that we can get away from biases in our lives. Good thing that we serve a God who is just. Serving a God who was not just would be a disaster. And most other religions, all other religions, if they're serving a deity, you'll find that they are unjust. And it's one of the things that differentiates them from Christianity. God is just. God is righteous. When we read a declaration made by Moses in Deuteronomy 32.4, it says this, He is the rock. (coughs) His works are perfect. 
and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. The declaration is understanding of God is he is perfect. He's just, he's always just, he's always righteous. In Isaiah, the Lord himself spoke through the prophet and he made this declaration about himself. I, the Lord, speak the truth. In Isaiah 45, 19, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God speaks only truth, and he is the one that declares what is right. That goes against our rebellious nature. It goes against our desire to have our own selfish ways. God's justice basically means that God always acts in accordance with what is right, no matter what. And he is the final standard of what is right. Think about that for a second. He always acts in accordance with what is right, and he's the one that determines what is right. A lot of us like to put on our God hat and act that way. That's not fair, Dad. Yes, it is. Why? Because I said it's fair. I'm the one who gets to determine. I'm always right, and I get determined what's right. Can you imagine a God like that? That wasn't just. That wasn't righteous. When we say God is just... He's perfectly righteous in everything he does and acts on in our lives. For example, just going to list a few things and give a scriptural reference. God shows no partiality. God, it's not fair. No, God says, I show no partiality. In Acts 10.34, it says, Peter speaks and he says, I now realize that how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God does not show favorites. He declares in his word that I'm his favorite. But he declares it to all of us. We are the apple of his eye. But it's for all of us. God doesn't love you more than he loves me, or vice versa. God doesn't treat us differently in terms of his love or his justice. He's not part, he shows no partiality. God commands against the mistreatment of others. And this could be a whole other message on the justice of God and how it should be applied to our lives. But I just want to say this from Zechariah 7, verses 9 and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty says as he's speaking to believers. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien, or the poor. In your heart, do not think evil of one another. There's some challenges in there, isn't there? I wrestled with the alien one right away, with all that's in the news and all the things that we see happening. How are we supposed to act justly in the eyes of God? God perfectly exercises vengeance. We've all probably heard or thrown out the line, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Usually when we're talking about someone else. In 2 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul writes these words, God is just. 
He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. That's a good place for an amen. He's going to get them. He promises he will. He is just. But he'll get them in a way that's just, not the way we probably would. Because we're not totally righteous. In Romans 12, verse 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. Aren't you glad that he is just? And just as vengeance, he says, God is just in giving of rewards. Do you know that there will be a day we stand before the throne of God and he will give us our rewards? Based on what we did and didn't do, how we didn't or did serve him. In Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, he says, Now there is a <clears throat> in store for me, and this is Paul speaking, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. God is a just rewarder. I mean, in the natural, you ever done some things for somebody and you just get ticked off when they don't respond? They don't thank you. They don't tell you how wonderful you are. That's when it's time to do a heart check. Were we doing it as unto the Lord or are we doing it for self-gratification and self-recognition? Glad he's a righteous judge, even when it comes to our rewards. And on that day, when we stand before the Lord, be a different throne, but he will be equally just in handing out punishment. In Colossians 3.25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Again, in the minds of us, it's sometimes like, well, you know, they did something wrong and it's exactly the same as what this person did wrong, but I like them a lot better than I like them. So the punishment isn't consistent. It isn't just. Now, if you're looking at all of this and listening to all of this and you're thinking about something called mercy and grace, you may be wondering, how does that work? How does that work, mercy and grace, in the eyes of a just God? We'll get to that in just a minute. Why does a justice or why does injustice bug us? Anybody ever get upset when you see injustice? Why? Why? If it doesn't impact you directly, why does it bug you? Why do we care? I believe it's because we are created in the image of God. And God cares. Now, he feels love and goodness, compassion, and its completeness. We don't. But it's there in most people. I believe sometimes hardened hearts can get so hard that injustice almost doesn't bother them. It's almost that as if that 
that light of compassion, so to speak, gets so darkened by a hardened heart that it almost extinguishes that thing. But I think it's part of what God has put in all of us that we want to see justice occur. But it doesn't always. To understand, and I think this is important, very important, to understand the justice of God, we really have to have a good understanding of sin. Sin. Scripture says sin is lawlessness and injustice. Sin is a crime against God. And this crime against God called sin deserves punishment, and the punishment it deserves is death. Boy, does that sound harsh. Sin is a crime against God. You know, let's think about it for a minute. Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm using a picture of an apple. We all know it was fruit. But we're going to pretend it was an apple. Now, if you know the story, which most of us probably do, God just laid out this creation before them and said, you know what? You get to walk in perfect relationship with me. My love, your love, pure as it can get. All of creation is for you, except I don't want you to eat. Please, don't eat from that one tree. Just don't eat from that one tree. And you and I might look at that and we understand what happened because of them eating from that one tree and we go, really, God? Is it that big a deal? I just took a bite out of that piece of fruit. Is it really that big a deal? In our natural mind, it's just not that big a deal until we think of it in a little bit different terms, terms that are true. We have just committed the crime of treason against the creator of all things, of Almighty God. We have just committed a sin against the ruler of everything. We have committed a sin against the Lord who commands legions of armies of angels. We have committed a crime against a holy and righteous God. We have committed a crime against the God who, as we talked about last week, who is worthy of eternal adoration, worship, and praise. The angels are declaring holy, holy, holy for all eternity. And we have despised him and did what we wanted to do. It's almost as if he's saying, please don't, and we go, we're going to do it anyway. It's really not that big a deal. It's a big deal, first and foremost, because God said, don't do it. That's, that's enough. But it's also a big deal because in most sin, we don't see the consequences that are going to follow us. In my pet sins, it's just a little thing. You know, golly, that ink pen probably cost $1.19. It's okay I put it in my pocket and took it because it really wrote nice. Really, God, it's not that big a deal. Thou shalt not steal. But really, you didn't mean $1.19 ink pens. Sex is a blessing from God, but it's designed for one thing and one thing only, marriage. Oh, God, come on. We're engaged. It's okay. I'm really only going with one woman or one man. It's okay. Really, God, it's not a big deal. Really. Wonder what you'd think if you could see the consequences 
of what's going on in a spiritual sense. And that's beyond the reality and the fact that God says, please don't do it. I've designed it to be this tremendous blessing of intimacy in the life of a husband and wife. Please don't desecrate it. Yeah, God, we get it, but it's really not that big a deal. And we could go on and on and on with that list and just keep saying, really, God? Come on. It's not that big a deal. We serve a gush job, God. Adam and Eve were showered with the love of God in a way that we won't fully comprehend until we get to heaven. It's there for us. That same love is there for us. But, but where we're at in the world today, we, we won't get it completely till heaven. All creation, you know, can you imagine? All creation is for your pleasure. Everything that I've created is for you guys and you alone. Except for that one piece of fruit. And it wasn't enough. Because God gave them one other thing that he gave you and me. Free will. He gave us free will. But because he's a just God, he laid it out for us. Here's the deal. These things will bring blessing and these things will bring cursing. These things will demonstrate your love for me because those who are obedient love me and those that love me will be obedient. He laid it out. He doesn't lay out all the specific consequences, but he says, you know what? Sin brings cursing into your life. It's not going to bring blessing. And he can't overlook our sin. He can't overlook it. He's a just God. God can't just make a rule like we as parents sometimes do and tell us what the consequences are going to be. For example, a a little rule like uh, sin deserves the punishment of death, so don't sin. He can't ignore that. We, We as parents might make a rule and it gets broken and we just ignore it. Uh, don't do that again. And don't do that again again. God can't do that. Why? Because he's just. He can't just ignore his justice. With Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they said something had to die. We can talk about spiritual death and eventually they died a physical death, but God provided a substitute. For Adam and Eve. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned and God came looking for them in the garden? They hid. Why did they hide? Because of sin, they had discovered shame. And they discovered that they were naked. And they were hiding. God knew a fig leaf wouldn't cover it. So, an animal died. Maybe more than one animal. Life had to be given. We see it in there because it says they were clothed in the animal skins. I think because of the justice of God, it was way more than that. He provided a substitute for Adam and Eve right away. And thankfully, we're going to talk about he discovered or provided, I should say, a substitute for us. When God did that, was his justice violated? When he provided an animal, when he provided Jesus, was his justice violated? When God shows mercy, 
is his justice violated? Mercy and grace, do they violate the justice of God? And here's how theologians word it. The answer is no, and they say it this way. Grace and mercy are not acts of injustice. They are non-justice. What that's really talking about is when mercy or grace are given to one of us, it's not in spite of God's justice, it's but because of his justice. The justice of God, the mercy of God. Did you know the mercy of God is always voluntary? It's always voluntary. If it wasn't voluntary, it would strictly be pure justice. And that's another place where we look at the mercies of God and we go, wait a minute, that's just not fair. Why did you show so much mercy to that person and you didn't show that mercy to me? God's mercy is always, always voluntary. In Romans 9.14, it says this, What then shall we say? Is God unjust? The answer is no, not at all. And he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But God, that can't possibly be fair. It is. Why? Because he always does what is right, and he is the standard and determines what is right. In the New Testament, we hear phrases, who are you? to question me. God says, are you really questioning the one who created you? His mercy. And as I said earlier, it's a unique aspect of Christianity. We serve a God who is perfectly just. His justice cannot be compromised. Other religions of the world that have a divine deity or what they call a divine deity To get mercy from them, they have to discard justice. For example, in Islam, when they go and pray to Allah and they perceive that they've received mercy from Allah, in spite of what the law said, in spite of what their rules said, the punishment wasn't meted out. Why? Because they changed the rules. They chose to ignore them. That's not mercy. There's no justice. There is no justice in any other deity, in any other religion. Only Christianity is unique in that regard. There is something in our Christian religion, you know, there's lots of different um, doctrines. I don't know if you've ever heard of this doctrine, but I think most of us understand it, at least to a degree. The doctrine of penal substitution. Ever heard of that? Bet you understand the meaning of it pretty well. Penal substitution derives from the idea that divine forgiveness or mercy must satisfy divine justice. That is, God is not willing or able to simply forgive sin without first requiring a satisfaction for it. It states that God gave himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer the death, punishment, and curse due to fallen humanity as the penalty for our sin. You maybe didn't know the term, but I hope we all understand the words and the definition. God cannot, because he's a just God, ignore your sin or my sin. 
we deserve the fullness of the punishment for sin that he declared in the garden. We see it in the New Testament. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. He makes it clear. According to the justice of God, we all deserved death. But his mercy intervenes. It doesn't ignore the sentence. There is a substitution made, and that substitution for us was Jesus Christ. Sin and injustice were both dealt with at the cross. The penalty for sin was satisfied at the cross. And I know I'm probably not doing justice to explaining this, but if we get a little bit of understanding, it should increase in us a hearts of thanksgiving for what the cross really represents. God couldn't just forgive us because he's just. The penalty had been declared. He had to do something. Mercy intervened in the justice of God by him providing a substitute for us that took the penalty. So the penalty was paid completely and in full as his mercy was demonstrated towards us, his grace given to us. It's the cross that God extends his mercy to us that were undeserving sinners. We didn't deserve it. And he does that to every single person who will look to him for salvation. The scripture I want to read as the last scripture this morning is in Romans 3, verses 24 through 26. And it says, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood. We need to understand that. The blood was shed to atone for our sins, to pay the price, the penalty of our sin. But it's still only received as we have faith and put our faith in Jesus Christ. Put our faith in him as our substitutionary lamb, so to speak. The atonement, the power of the atonement, the blood of the atonement is for every human being on the earth, but it's only going to be applied to those who receive it by faith. Otherwise, his justice is going to be meted out in its fullness without mercy. And that will happen someday in the future. He says this, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had let the sins or left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. All the sin from Adam to Christ had not been punished because of the forbearance of God. We see in the Jewish religion all those animals that were sacrificed. The fullness of God's wrath had not been poured out on a single human being. We see 
we, some pretty, we see some pretty powerful demonstrations of his wrath throughout the Old Testament. The flood was a big one. But it says in his forbearance, the mercy of God, it hadn't been dealt with. He chose not to punish sin, although he would have been perfectly just in doing so. And he demonstrated this in his love of God, the love that he demonstrated. John 3.16, verse most of us, if you grew up like I did as a Lutheran, one of the scriptures that I knew, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. He gave him as a mercy gift to satisfy his justice. That whosoever believes in him, that's what we have to do. We have to believe, not just mental assent. We need to believe in who he is, who he was, and what he's done. We'll never perish. We'll have everlasting life. And that we'll never perish. What could be put in there is we'll never experience the fullness of God's wrath that his justice demands for sin. When we think of that very familiar verse and we we really meditate on it and we think about what took place, God's mercy on the cross that allowed him to forgive our sins to meet his justice. Because he's just, he had to do something. And because he's such a loving God, he demonstrated his mercy. Not as an injustice, it didn't violate his justice, it was unjustice because it did meet his justice, but it used a substitute to do it. The mercies of God. Every sin ever committed. He took care of those sins all the way back to Adam on the cross. And he took care of those sins until he comes back on the cross. In his mercy, the substitutionary death of Jesus. At the cross, God's justice was truly meted out in full. And it's one of those things I meditate on occasionally just to remind me of the, the, the horrible, ugly, painful thing sin, sin is in God's eyes. His justice was fully meted out at the cross. What's that mean? All the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. All the sins of the world were put on Him. All the punishment that we were due, he experienced on that cross. All of it, every bit of it, yours, mine, and everybody in the whole world was put on him. The justice was fully met on the cross. And God's mercy was extended in the fullest to all who believe. To the unbeliever, it's foolishness. To us, it should be something that draws us to Christ, draws us to our Heavenly Father, our loving God. And this could be a number of messages could go on from here about this, but this simple statement, God's justice requires punishment of sin for those who reject Christ. You know, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, not some religious act, not something you've done. You've just made a commitment, acknowledge you're a sinner, and accept Jesus as that substitutionary, sinless sacrifice that died for you. 
and he was raised from the dead on the third day, and he ascended to the Father, and he's seated at the right hand of God. If you've never personally made that confession of faith, personally embraced that truth, you are going to experience the fullness of the wrath of God because he's just. And the Bible talks about hell, and it's a reality. The Bible talks about eternal torment, fire, it's a reality. All of that is going to be meted out when Jesus comes back. And there's that great white throne judgment. Believers, don't be confused by this, but there is a, there is a judgment where we get judged on our, for our rewards or not our awards. This other one over here, we don't need to worry about. The Bible talks about this in Revelation. And it's an easy picture for us to vision. There's a book. Well, actually, there's more than one. There's a book in heaven. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And there's going to come a day when people are going to come and stand before that book. And if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, your salvation is secure. You'll spend eternity with him. But if your name is not written in that book, if it's not written there, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are going to be cast into the torments of hell for all eternity. If we believe the Bible at all, this is a no-brainer, right? It's a no-brainer. We can receive salvation, the mercy of God, through the cross and what Christ did and receiving it by faith. But just like Adam and Eve in the garden, if you don't do this, you will surely die. But the death that's referred to in Revelation is a death of eternal torment and separation from God. The choice is ours. The question is always the same. What do we do with the mercy of God demonstrated on the cross? Have we received it by faith? allowed the Lord Jesus to be Lord of our life? Or are we still thinking there's a better way? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand in greater fullness the amazing gift it is that we serve a just God and the amazing gift of mercy demonstrated in the amazing gift of your son Jesus going unto a cross and dying for our sins. Lord, I thank you that we serve a just God. But he's also a merciful God. He's also a loving God and a compassionate God, a generous, patient God. Help us to understand the God that we can serve, that we can call Father through accepting and receiving by faith the substitutionary death of Jesus on our behalf. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never done that, Lord, that you would grab a hold of their hearts, capture their hearts, let the truth of what Jesus did and the need of a Savior 
that we have. I ask this, Lord, that you would receive all the glory and honor. And Lord, I also pray that as we go our way today, you would watch over us, keep us safe. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight in the circumstances that we're in. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Father, that everything we do, everything we say, everything we think would bring glory and honor to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.